welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Happy Father's Day, everybody. We're going through the book of Jonah, which has this great fish tail. So I thought I'd show you a picture on Father's Day of me and my own great fish tail. There I am with my dad. And just to let you know, the ladies can't resist a bowl haircut and a string of fresh fish. That's the truth. Uh, So we've been going through Jonah, and it's been chronicling this amazing story of this runaway prophet who refuses to preach to his enemies in Nineveh, and he famously gets swallowed by a great fish. And just this last month, a lobster fisherman claims he was swallowed by a whale and spit out, and he survived to tell about it, just like I planned, just in time for our Jonah series, right? Now, this story I've been reading is far more than just a tale about a man being swallowed by a fish. Rather, it's a masterfully crafted piece of literature. It juxtaposes a Jewish prophet who is going against pagan foreigners because he refuses to share God's word with them. And it, what it does, it highlights Jonah's faithless disobedience with the surprising faithful obedience of these pagans. Now, keep in mind, when Jonah hires a boat to run away from God, God sends a storm, and it puts the ship and the sailors at great peril. And then they realize it's Jonah's fault, that Jonah is the source of the storm. And so Jonah tells them, he says, throw me overboard in order to save themselves. And then in verse 16, Jonah says, pick me up, hurl me into the sea, and it will quiet down for you. Now, these pagans, they reluctantly do what Jonah tells them to do. And what happens is a storm and the sea immediately calm down. And they realize that Jonah's God is the true God. Now, Amanda last week made this great point that this is the first time that we see Jonah in the story being selfless. Throughout this whole story, it's been all about him and what he wants to do. And up to this point, every action he's taken is directly against God, and instead he is pursuing his own self-interest. So in offering to be thrown overboard, he chose to be a substitutionary sacrifice. And what it does, it points to a future perfect substitutionary sacrifice in Jesus one day. But what I want to do is point out that Jonah's not being completely obedient in this story. He does not fully obey God. See, Jonah basically says, I'd rather die than be obedient to the Lord. I'd rather be thrown overboard than be a missionary to the Ninevites. Did you catch this? I'd rather die than do what God told me to do. Do you know someone who has ever made the choice to disobey God and does it even at their own peril, that they would rather choose destruction than choose God's best. Let me ask you, is there something in your life that you'd rather do, even if it leads to not God's best, than to be obedient? Is there something in your life that you'd have to admit that you're only partially obeying God? Something we can learn from Jonah, what not to do, to partially obey God. 
We take a look at verse 17. It says, and the Lord appointed, remember that word, appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, the author in this story, he uses the word appoint, which is mana in the Hebrew, to emphasize Yahweh's sovereign power in the miraculous sending of the great fish to swallow Jonah, and repeats this Hebrew word three more times in chapter 4, where the writer says, God appoints mana, a plant to grow and to shade Jonah. And then God appoints a worm to eat the plant. And lastly, God appoints a scorching wind to lead Jonah eventually to finally surrender fully to the Lord. And here's the thing. You cannot avoid God's sovereign will in your life. You're not an independent creature who can do whatever pleases you. You're placed on this earth to glorify God. So when people look at your life, they can see a glimpse of God's goodness. That's why you exist, every human being. Not everyone chooses to live that way, but that is why you exist. God has appointed you to know him and to serve him. See, God has a sovereign call on your life that we are to yield to, to say yes to, and to know this sovereign call and to live this sovereign call. That is the good life. And Jonah's missing out because he only partially obeys. See, the text says that Jonah was in the fish three days and three nights. And I don't know what kind of fish this is, but I'm assuming that God is capable of the uh, making an environment for which Jonah, since he is the creator of the universe, for Jonah to be able to survive. So I don't know the details. The story doesn't give us those details. But what we do know is that God in his graciousness reverses the journey of the, to the depths of Sheol. Because for the ancient Jews, they believed it was a three-day journey from death into this place called Sheol. So God's being gracious to reverse Jonah's journey and turn it around. And to turn around to the journey to go from the depths of death and to onto dry land. In the story, you will notice that Jonah is always going down. He's going down to Joppa. And then he goes down into the ship. And he's going down to the depths of the ocean and down into Sheol. And so for Jonah, he needs to go down to the end of himself and his rebellious will before he's willing to surrender to the sovereign presence, to the sovereign persistence, the sovereign plan of God. So let me reassure you, not every dark time is a result of your sin. But... Every dark time is an opportunity to draw closer to God, to cry out to God. God is present and persistent because he has a good plan for your life. Pay attention to God's sovereign call in your life. Then we see that we're, now we go to chapter 2. We're finally in chapter 2. It's been weeks in chapter 1. Verse 1, chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to God, to the Lord his God, from the belly of the fish. See, this great fish swallows Jonah. He finally turns towards God, and he's been running away from this entire story. And it's both a turning away and a turning toward the Lord. You know, there are some storms that God won't release you from without a turning away from disobedience and a turning toward the ways of God. Jonah turns towards God, which is good, but I want to say Jonah could have gone further. Jonah was not willing 
to die to save others completely. See, Jonah was willing to die to save these sailors. He thought, well, these people are okay. But I'm not willing even to live to go and be faithful to share, to share the good news of God's sovereign will. So don't stop where Jonah stopped. Jonah wasn't willing to live to save others. He says, I'm ready to die. Throw me overboard. God wants you willing to live, that your life might be used as an instrument of his peace and his grace and of saving faith in Christ. In other words, turn all the way towards God in full obedience. Don't only partially obey. See, Jonah was still refusing to be obedient to offer this message of salvation, of, of hope to the pagans in Nineveh. Jonah was willing to give his life to save these pagan sailors from their earthly peril, but was not willing to save others for a heavenly promise. He was only partially obeying. See, God wants more than you being willing to die so that people can improve their life on earth. It's a good thing. But God wants more. He wants you to offer your life, not just your death. He wants your living, your everydayness offered to him. He wants your earthly life to have a heavenly perspective. He wants your sacrifice to be him-centered, not you-centered. See, Jonah's still offering a me-centered sacrifice. I'll give my life, Lord, to save these sailors, but to save the Ninevites? No, 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 I'm not willing to do that. They're not worth your love. That's what Jonah's really saying. You see, it takes being in the belly of the fish, the darkness of the place, that finally helps Jonah come to the realization that all he has is the mercy of God. He's been stripped of everything. And now he's ready to turn in that dark place. He finally turns toward God in some way. There's a singer named Jane She's a Christian musician who goes by the stage name Nightbird. Some of you maybe have seen the video of her. She did this tear-jerking performance on America's Got Talent recently, just two weeks ago. There's a photo. Millions of viewers have watched her mesmerizing performance of her original song. The song's called It's Okay. And it chronicles the devastating events of the past year in Jane's life. She's a 30-year-old from Zanesville, Ohio, and she's battling her third bout of cancer. She was recently given a 2% chance of survival. Before learning about her cancer some years ago, she actually decided to wait three years before launching her music career. She believed the Lord had told her to wait because he was preparing her for something. And she says this, she says, just as Jonah was in the whale for three days and Jesus is in the tomb for three days, it was almost like a resurrection for her to be able to sing after that three-year wait. But little did she know that the three-year waiting was not just to launch her music career, but to face cancer. The Lord was preparing her for a bigger stage. That first diagnosis was the first of three recurring cancer diagnoses. And in 2019, after thinking she had beaten the cancer, it returned and doctors gave her three to six months to live. And then things went from bad to worse. Her husband, after the diagnosis, says, our marriage is over. 
after that bombshell, she decides to move to California in a very dark place, dark place spiritually, emotionally, relationally. You can imagine battling incredible physical, physical pain. And in this time of despair, she cried out to the Lord in these dark times, often arguing with God like Job does in the Bible, like our psalmist do in the Bible. Where are you, God? Why have you abandoned me? Which, by the way, are very good biblical prayers. I highly recommend it. They're honest prayers. They're direct prayers. They're crying out prayers. She, at this time, was bald and too weak to stand, and yet she was able to send an audition video to America's Got Talent. And then she shared her stirring story on the stage. She shared her gift of music in millions are now hearing about the hope that she has in this dark moment. Here's another photo of her. Even with just a 2% chance of survival, she believes God is being glorified through her dark season. So I want to tell you this. You might be going through a dark season like Job, which is of your own doing, or you might be in a dark season like Jane. No fault of your own. Darkness. And let me tell you, either one of the situations, God says, I will not abandon my children who cry out to me. God is close to those who cry out. Verse 2, Jonah says this amazing prayer that we're going to take some time. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried. He finally cries out to the Lord. Jonah identifies himself not in the belly of a fish, but rather in the belly of Sheol, the abode of the dead that ancient Jews believed was somewhere down in Middle Earth below the sea and the mountains. And Now, for the Jew, anyone who died went to Sheol, the, both the righteous and the unrighteous. And so for the ancient Jews, they believed that in this time, that they would be in this place of waiting. And it wasn't until the New Testament that we get a further revelation of this picture of a final judgment that will separate the righteous from the unrighteous, uh, that the Christ-centered people who have given their life to the Lord are considered righteous. Those who reject Jesus are the unrighteous. And we have this picture of heaven for those in Christ and a picture of hell and eternal separation for those who reject Jesus. But for the Jew at this time, Sheol was a place of death. So what Jonah is saying, instead of saying, I'm in the belly of the whale, saying, I'm in the belly of Sheol, he's saying, I'm as good as dead, is what his prayer is saying. I have no hope. Listen to the words of Jonah in his prayer. It says, I was cast into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The flood surrounded me. Again, remember for the ancient Jew, the waters were chaos, was darkness. It was separation from God. And then it says, and, and the waves and billows went over me. And I was driven away from God. The waters closed in. The deep surrounded me. Weeds wrapped around my head. I'm at the roots of the mountain. Remember being down low. I went down to the land whose bars closed up upon me forever from the pit. My life was fainting away. A good, honest prayer. Let me ask you, when we come to the end of ourselves, do you have hope in Christ? 
that you can cry out to him? Maybe you never have known that he is the one you can cry out to. If you're in that dark place, he promises his presence. Jonah receives a miraculous rescue. And he proclaims, he answered me. You heard my voice. You brought up my life. And then Jonah mentions, interestingly, God's temple in verses 4 and verses 7. And it's because for the, again, the ancient Jews and the Jewish prophet, that's where you experience the presence of God. He's saying the presence of God came into my life. And in verse 9, it says, with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is a prayer of thanksgiving for being held in the belly of the fish instead of the belly of Sheol. See, the fish swallowing him was not a punishment, but an act of mercy from Yahweh the Lord. And here we see Jonah experience rescue from death after running away, after refusing to pray, and now almost dying, he finally turns to God in gratitude. And so I'm just telling you, for the story of Jonah, what we see is that even though Jonah keeps going down and down and down and down and down, there's always a God, even in, even in death, who promises to never let go. I know God isn't promised to answer every one of our well-intentioned and well-meaning and rightful prayers, but he does promise, even in death, he will never leave us, never forsake us. For those who yield to the Lord, And the Lord does rescue Jonah. And for some of you, you're in a dark place. And you're saying, Tim, this last year and a half, it's all been being beaten down and down and down and down. I want you to notice what what Jonah says in here. And he says, with a voice of thanksgiving, I sacrifice to you because you brought up my life. There's going to be some times in our dark places when we cry out to God. And after being down and beaten down and again, bad news again, down and down and down, then the Lord comes in and he lifts you up. I can't promise that'll be the answer to every one of your prayers, but it's true. Actually, just the other day, one of our deacons was at a, uh, in a park ministering to uh, our friends in the homeless community. In the midst of being down and down and down, This man said yes to the Lord. It's a miracle. You could say yes. God's not promising the same miracle that's happening to Jonah. God hasn't promised Jane that she's going to beat the 2% diagnosis. But she knows as long as she's on earth, she wants to keep pointing to the hope she has in Christ. Down and down and down could be the story of your life. But when God in Christ gives you an up, that's good news. You just need one. And live in that security of a good God. As you face sickness, as you face darkness, as you face transitions, and even as we face death, we have hope. Because we're in the grip of a good and sovereign God. A couple lessons on prayer from Jonah. First of all, we don't know exactly when Jonah prayed. We don't. But maybe sometime between him telling the sailors to throw him over the board 
over the, over the rails of the boat and throw him into the sea. And, and sometime before hitting the water, perhaps, Jonah decided to pray to God. Now, keep in mind, Jonah could have prayed at any time prior to this, and God was ready to respond. It takes Jonah facing certain death for him to finally pray. And so the first lesson for us is to don't delay and to pray like Jonah. Don't do what Jonah did. Don't wait. Yes, pray, but you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait till death is at the door. You don't have to wait till you're in the darkest, darkest place. Don't wait. If we're honest, so many of us pray actually only when we need something, right? How much better to develop a regular, ongoing, daily prayer life with the Lord? I'm praying right now as I preach. I'm praying that God would use my mumbling words to somehow grab the heart of someone by the power of the Spirit. I'm praying for those watching from home, that maybe someone's listening who's in a dark place and is hopeless. I hope you're praying right now for someone in this room who doesn't know Jesus. We're glad you're here. I hope you're not in a dark place. But if you are, I want you to know you can cry out and say, I need you, Lord. I don't understand everything, but I need, I need something. I'm telling you, God will honor even that prayer. And we hope you will know it's Christ. See, God isn't looking for our empty prayers of thanksgiving if we aren't willing to obey. See, Jonah lacked a prayer life. It's revealed in his disobedience, right? Did you know the sailors even asked Jonah to pray? And Jonah refused earlier in the story. They asked him to pray, and he said, no, doesn't pray. It's a disobedience in his heart. See, sometimes our prayers are more like this. Lord, I want you to change the heart of that person that's arguing with me. You ever prayed like that? What if the Lord wants to change you first? And some of you say, well, that's why I don't pray, Pastor Tim. That's exactly why I don't pray. I know what's coming back to me. Let's do life, listening, talking, walking with God. It's okay to argue with God, complain to God, and thank God and praise God. All but pray. If you're in a dark place, it's not too late. But friends, you don't have to wait until you're in a dark place to pray. Jane, the singer, said when she was in the midst of her dark season, when she was crying out to God about her marriage ending and crying out to God about the cancer growing and her music career struggling. She was in her apartment alone, sick and unable to muster enough energy to even get off the bathroom floor physically. And it was in the, sometime in this season, she said, God revealed to her that he had not abandoned her, that God spoke to her. And then she says this. She says, I've heard it said that some people can't see God because they won't look low enough. And it's true. Look lower. God is on the bathroom floor. And so, friends, don't wait to, don't wait to pray like Jonah waited. But if you are in a dark place, God has not abandoned you. Look lower. He's on the ground with you. 
Let the Spirit speak to you, to someone today who's in a low place. Cry out to God. Verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. The fish carries Jonah from the Mediterranean Sea, and he vomits out Jonah onto some kind of dry land. Now, when I first moved to the air, I moved into my office. I brought my lunch. I went to the microwave. had a nice sign taped on it. It says, please do not microwave any fish in this microwave. It smells up the entire office. Now, guess what? That's the same rule at my house. My wife and kids do not allow me to cook fish indoors because cooked fish makes the whole house smell like fish. Now, if cooked fish smells that bad, how bad does a fish vomiting up other fish smell? This is a very bad scenario for Jonah. And yet, it was his salvation. Sometimes salvation is a little stinky, right? You're in a dark place. It's messy. It's stinky, even after God saves you. Now, here's the thing. The irony in this part of the story is that the fish is more obedient than God's prophet. Think about it. When the Lord spoke to Jonah early in the story, he says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and share about me to the lost people. He's like, I'm out. No way. But when the fish hears the word of the Lord... It obeys. The lesson here is that we should pray that we would model ourselves after an obedient creature more than a disobedient prophet. God cares about obedience. So friends, don't wait until facing death to finally pray. Don't don't wait to, to turn to God when it's, the last thing of your options. Yes, he will still answer, but you don't have to wait. Have confidence that God is with you even when it appears that he's absent. Learn to obey God quickly instead of wasting time trying to avoid his sovereign will. What a waste of time it is for you, children of God, fathers of Jesus, to keep disobeying. What a waste of time to partially obey. Let's fully obey. Dive in, lean in. Let's say yes to everything the Lord is putting on us. And in that, we will know the power of God's word to accomplish God's glory as we hear his word and we say, Lord, help me to obey. I want to wrap up with this one picture, a New Testament connection. Tim Keller says that the Jonah story points forward to the gospel centered on Jesus, a true and better Jonah, Matthew 12, 41. And this picture of this true and better Jonah in Jesus is that God sent his only son, the ultimate and perfect Jonah, because God is both just and the justifier. That's Romans 3. And so what we see in Jonah's story is that we learn that God can neither stand the cruel Ninevites who need to repent, nor can he stand the Pharisaical believers like Jonah who also need to repent. And so what we see in many ways is that Jonah's story mirrors Jesus' parable of the two lost sons in Luke 15. You see, in the first half of Jonah, it shows him to be like the younger brother running away from the father's love, Well, the second half shows Jonah to be like the pharisaical older brother who refuses the father's grace. 
See, in Luke 15, the younger brother, he tries to escape his father's control by taking his inheritance and running away. And yet the older brother stayed home and he obeyed the father. And yet when the father showed mercy to the younger son, the older son exploded in anger and revealed that the older son never really loved the father then. He couldn't stand the father showing so much grace to those undeserving sinful ones. What Jesus does, he gives us a picture of a faithful father in Luke 15, running towards those who are far from him, having arms of grace, receiving the lost son who's come home. And then the same gracious father comes to the older son who refuses to offer grace and mercy. And that same gracious father is still offering grace to those of us who are quick to judge, those of us who are inclined to withhold mercy from others. Pastor Daryl Johnson says there are two kinds of sinners. There are the law breakers like the Ninevites, and there are the law keepers like the Israelites. Both of them stand in need of grace. See, Jonah is a picture of both of these sons. You see, because there are two ways to be far from God. You can try to be very, very bad, or you can try to be really, really good. You can try and and be uh, running away from God and blind to your own need for, for grace from the Father, but you can still be blind by staying at home. You can be blind by being right next to the Father and you refuse His grace. See, I can see both sinful tendencies in me, in my own story. Running away from God in blatant sin, willfully disobedient, turning my back on God, but perhaps more often now, pretending to be close to God while holding on to less obvious sins, right? And persistent sins. Things like arrogance and pride and hypocrisy. I can keep going on and on. My list is long. I know yours is short, but I got a long list of persistent sins that I keep saying, God, help me. I'm glad your list is short. Don't we all need the grace of God? Us older brothers and us younger brothers, those of us who run away and those of us who stay close to home. Playing church sometimes, but still holding grudges. Singing praises to God, but being unwilling to be a witness to share the love and the grace of Jesus to our neighbors. That's partial obedience, friends. We are just as guilty. We all need the grace of the Father. Those of us who run away from his persistence love and those of us who stay right at home. Oh, Lord, thank you for your grace. But we got to turn to him. He's looking for full obedience. He's looking for us to say, Spirit, search our hearts, our minds, even in this moment. Let's take a moment as we pray. Would you consider this? Let's close our eyes. Which brother am I? Which Jonah am I? Let's come to the Lord. Lord, in this moment of silence, search our hearts. Speak to us, Lord. Lord, forgive us, us younger sons who run away, who turn our backs, who blatantly sin, 
who refuse your truth. And thank you that as we turn to you, you welcome us home in your arms of grace. And Lord, forgive us as older brothers, staying close to home, looking spiritual on the outside, but inside holding on to grudges and unto bitterness and holding on to partial obedience. Ola, reveal to us how we can more fully obey you by offering our lives to you, our everyday lives. Lord, help us to develop a prayer life where we're honest with you. Help us in our darkest times to cry out to you and not to wait for things to get better. Well, Lord, if there is any sin in us that needs confessing, Lord, reveal us the specific nature of that sin. And I pray for those, though, also, Lord, who are burdened with guilt, and it's not from you. Some of us are burdened by a self-guilt or an other guilt that actually isn't from your spirit. Would you free people even in this room right now, those listening, who are being guilted by the evil one, wants to tell them that they're not good enough and they had to clean up their act before they can turn to you. Oh, Lord, may we all turn to you, recognizing your sovereign power to save us with a word from your mouth, God. Lord, give us endurance and hope in this season. For some of us, this is a dark time. May we know, Lord, that as we face these dark things, that we have hope in you. And ultimately, even as we all face death, you will not abandon us to the grave. Lord, thank you for the hope that's in Jesus Christ, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.